This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek, and I'm with Steve Cochran, the co-founder of Giant Worldwide from Sunny. Why is it sunny today? Yeah, it's sunny. I can see it. There's blue sky over London. It's a red letter day. It's still cold, by the way, but at least it's not raining. Um, we, we always we have something called an Indian summer. I have no idea. We have it here. Do you? Oh, well, that's good to know. Yeah. I didn't even know you had an empire in past, but there we go. Um, your weather, though, looks a lot more exciting than our weather right now. Well, exciting may be the wrong word, but America never does anything small. You have to be the biggest and the best at everything, even when it comes... We want the best, <laughs> the biggest hurricanes we can get. Um, everyone else has Category yeah, 1 hurricanes. Right. We like Category it, 4. It was almost with disappointment hurricanes. they were announcing that this this hurricane was being downgraded from five to four to three. And it's almost like, you know, category one. Well, that's, that's, that's useless. That's European. Well, they said it was a British hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but don't forget Britain. We come to a standstill with like half an inch of rain or a 30 mile an hour wind and the train stop and everything else comes to a standstill. So, you know, I'm... well, have you heard that old adage, the old um, saying red sky at night, sailors delight, yeah. blue sky at night, day <laughs> so, sorry that's a bad joke <laughs> well you know i thought i was going to be able to enlighten you on a um, an actual meteorological feature of the uh, united kingdom weather so it was originally red sky at night shepherds delight red sky oh, i've forgotten it now let's just move on but the, the <laughs> I, I i look stupid so let's keep moving on what are we doing today jerry so, what are we doing today Today, we're serving our friends all over the world, um, from Tanzania um, to um, Antarctica um, to Mongolia. I'm sure we've got people in all those places. Have, have you um, been doing geography homework with the children again? <laughs> <laughs> we are, we're, we are uh, encouraging. We are liberating. We're sharing about uh, some ideas. Today, I thought, what if we talk about... Uh, leadership in crisis, mm. and uh, what? How do we un- unpack it a little bit, mm-hmm. and and really, what does it look like to lead in the middle of crisis? And you know, recently in America, we've had uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, Hurricane, um, uh, oh my goodness, yeah, I had to think of the name. Uh, then we've we've had you know around the world in Spain, there's been terrorist attacks, there's been. Um, all types of issues, big and and small. And there's there will always be issues in our global world, but um, there's also small crises. You know, there, there's some, certain things that happen inside families. There's certain things that happens inside teams that aren't global terrorism or a hurricane, but they they are detrimental mm. and could be. So, how do you lead in in the middle of that? Uh, um, mm. I, I I think it'd be a, a good discussion, and I think it, it will the outcome could be really encouraging to a lot of people. Yes, great. Yes. And I, I suspect, as usual, it will be helpful for us to use the uh, kind of our five voices lenses to say, you know, how do how did each voice lead well in crisis? And also, what are some of the particular challenges that they're going to face when they're dealing with it? How do, how do we stop them being what we call the accidental leader? So I think it's a really, really um, good lens. And I think there'll be lots of things that we can unpack because whether you're leading somebody of that voice, whether you um, are parents to, whether you happen to be that foundational voice yourself, you're absolutely right that it may not be us trying to manage a, a hurricane, but inside relationships, inside teams, inside organizations, 
whether it's um, pressure from investors, whether it's disruptive technologies, whether it's financial challenges, whether it's just relational dynamics, um, every place where human beings interact, you will always end up occasionally with crisis. And I think just know yourself to lead yourself in that place is good. So you can have choice. Which, which foundational voice do you want us to start with? Well, let's start with a creative feeler because I can, let me tell you what happened to me and we'll, we'll dissect it um, because I'll tell you a, a crisis that I had once. So um, in 2009, I believe it was, um, I was leading, or 2010, we had just launched our uh, global leader cast, uh, simulcast. Uh, actually, yeah, it doesn't matter the exact year. But anyway, uh, what happened was um, we had, you know, 28 countries, uh, 150 plus thousand people. Mm-hmm. That were all, um, uh, you know, signing up and signing on, and about 750 host sites. Well, um, for the first 45 minutes, uh, there was Arabic subtitles <laughs> at the bottom of our, it, which was really, you know, a, a big, a big issue, obviously, because we're doing a global leadership simulcast, and there's Arabic. And all throughout the bottom, and, and it was covering the screen, and we could not get it up. And it wasn't it wasn't us; it was our our transmission provider, and we couldn't get a hold of them. They had all these emergency numbers; none of them would work. We couldn't get; they wouldn't answer to anything. They were in crisis themselves, wow. which caused us to be in crisis, which caused our host sites to be in crisis. Mm. And then it went for about fifteen twenty minutes of just fuzz. And so here we are doing a global transmission, and for the first hour, it's completely, completely frustrating. People can't hear. So the creative feeler, what happened to me, is just this all of a sudden feeling of pressure of I'm ultimately responsible. Well, I had people that worked for me, so I put on the screws to them. What's going on? Well, how, why is this taking place? So I'm micromanaging. I'm stepping in. I'm jumping in leading uh, and I didn't know what was really happening and I'm trying to communicate and I caught myself at one point just wanting to walk away just like if I just get into the crowd maybe no one will know we'll surely figure it out but I'm stressing I've got other investor partners looking at me calling me mm-hmm. what's going on is this going to get fixed well so just the sheer amount of stress mm-hmm. Just really, really, um, you know, it was not fun. And we ended up, uh, we ended up bringing, uh, our host sites in about 125. We paid $125,000 to bring in host sites the next year so we could just, um, love on them and let them know it wouldn't happen again. So that's one example of a crisis. So, so just, I mean, I think you've done something there, which is a really helpful upgrade. And as people are getting more used to how the voices work, the idea most of us actually, really the way we engage with crisis and engage with the world is a mix of our foundational voice and our our second voice and for you obviously as a connector as first voice but you have that creative feeler as the second voice so i think kind of talk a little bit so if you happen to be someone who has connector first creative second are there any are there any sort of more generic sort of principles to say you did a great job by the sound of it but you you saw the tendencies what are the things which basically in a crisis, what is the connector with a creative as a second voice? What are the things you think they have to be aware of where they actually have to choose a different action perhaps than the tendency or the pressure which is almost their default if they're accidental? Well, the, yeah, the tendency from a connector 
and in this case, a connector creative me was, uh, I wanted to avoid pain. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted it to be over with. So I wanted an immediate solution, mm. silver bullet, like surely push a button. Someone push <laughs> a button somewhere. Yes. That's all this is. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, all of a sudden I would, I started looking, um, at one or two people and <laughs> I just started just putting my target on them. Mm. Well, that was their issue. Why didn't you do this, Kevin? <laughs> Kevin, why didn't you? So I, I jumped into the dominator and I began to, I began to really undermine really their own, Mm. um, their work. And I just put pressure on them. So that, that, um, led to poor communication Mm. and me literally just wanting it to go away. And so I was wanting to walk into the crowd. And I think, I mean, that's, that's for for those of your connectors as first voice, which automatically have created a second. It's understanding that the need to actually, the need to be loved <laughs> and the need for things to go well is incredibly strong. And when it doesn't, the tendency will be to try and find instant solution and try and blame other people and try and get out from under the sense of responsibility that everyone is looking at you. And I think what we'd say is that knowing that's the tendency, but by doing that, you effectively throw everyone else under the bus or you become very reactive in your decision-making because there must be a way of getting out of this. So the thing I think we would say is you have to take a step back. You have to basically be able to be calm in the crisis and you actually have to be able to carry the load of responsibility and actually to let people lean on you. One of the great challenges for the connector is when things are going well, it's wonderful because the adulation and the affirmation of the crowd is awesome. The biggest challenge for the connector is to be consistent, solid, steadfast, so that when people lean on you in a crisis, you feel solid, not that they push straight through. So that's in the external communication, the sense of not trying to throw others under the bus, whatever it may be, and not try and spin it, not try and avoid the pain, not try and come up with a silver bullet but to almost take a deep breath and go, how are we going to solve this thing? That is counterintuitive, but it's the one way that basically if you understand what your tendencies will be, you can actually plan in advance what actions am I actually going to choose to take. So I think, I mean, I think that's gold, and I think just knowing that can be a huge help because you will all go through it, and the thing we say again and again, your tendencies don't go away. Your tendencies will always be your tendencies, you never nail and have completely different ones. Yeah, and it, and it's really the focus on changing the pattern. Yeah. If we change the pattern, we change the action, and that's the key for most people. We all often say, uh, as liberators, that the the really from taking a leader from good to great is really the process of moving from tendency to pattern to changing their action mm. to represent really what what they want to do once they've learned to lead themselves. And in this case. If I had to grade myself, I would probably not have graded myself too high mm. at, at that period of time uh, because I didn't um, function <laughs> as a liberator. Uh, I allowed, I was accidental in my leadership and not as mm. intentional, and I didn't really know what I know now. So I allowed myself to, to dominate and move into an area that I, I, I didn't want to be in. Mm. So let's go into the uh, pioneer, Steve. Let's, let's walk through. Do you have a crisis that you want to share? <laughs> And then, no, no, uh, I don't want to share anything about weakness, vulnerability, and pain. No, not at all. <laughs> um, I think that in in crisis mode, so when a pioneer is up against it and something goes wrong, 
pioneers move into almost like a warlike footing and they make it almost a fight to the death. So for a pioneer, when there's a crisis, they love to set up a them and us scenario. So someone's to blame for this scenario and we're going to win. So the tendency is to become very militaristic, very, very command and control. And basically their biggest fear is always losing. So the, the kind of accidental pioneer, most people in the team see some of their dark side and their consuming desire that somebody else is going to lose, not us. Now, in some senses, that's often a strength because people like to be on winning teams. But the immature pioneer or the accidental pioneer can often basically be so determined they're not going to be the one that appears to have lost that they will throw others under the bus, they will go after the incompetent, and basically they will drive the team, the decision-making, command and control in what they're doing, and effectively they stop listening to all the other voices. So the fear of losing drives command and control behavior, militaristic thinking, militaristic aggression, and almost it's somebody else is going to lose because it isn't me. And then when people look back on it, even if they manage to manage the crisis and get out of it, the biggest issue for pioneers is they burn capital because people look at them and go like, oh my goodness, you became a tyrant. You became a bully. You, I may not have been the one this time that was made the enemy, but the person who did has just been eviscerated by your grenade launcher and all your cunning, manipulative patterns of negotiation blame. And all that happens is people look at you sometimes and go, I'm not sure I can trust you, or I'm not sure you make the right decisions under pressure because everything seems to be about how do we not lose and how do I not lose face? Now, obviously, I don't recognize any of those, Jeremy, from any um, warlike decision-making I made in the past, and I'm offering it as a hypothetical scenario. But I would hazard a guess that for most pioneers, um, they recognize those tendencies and they recognize those patterns. And if they're honest, they recognize the consequences of their default patterns and action. Do it in your family, by the way, and it's even harder to get back. Because when the crisis is at home, making it a war between you, your spouse, and your kids is never going to end well. Yeah, um, we had we had this happen with a client uh, that that uh, was a giant client, and the CEO was um, basically positioning himself against everyone, and he had a, a little war room, mm. and they met on a regular basis, and he would basically ask people, um, "Hey, who's on our team? Who's not?" Yeah, and they, they would almost tally it up, almost like they were in the mm. Uh, looking for congressional votes, yep. and uh, and so what happened is they started really an infighting that led to the board, which led to them trying to manipulate and control, and eventually this extreme stress mm. and the crisis uh, led them to um, isolate themselves, and everyone around them started realizing that they were a part of it, that they got out of it, mm. so no one wanted to be, so the only one in the room was him versus the world, yeah. and... Uh, and that's an extreme In a war footing, loyalty is everything. You're either for me or against me. You're either loyal and you're supportive, which usually means you agree with me with a pioneer at that stage, or you're a threat and therefore you'd be taken out. It's amazing how much damage can be done by an immature pioneer when they're facing the challenge of a crisis. 
where they fear failure. Don't forget, pioneers' whole identity is made up in achieving things and winning. So when the crisis happens and it looks like they might lose, they're dealing with more than what's just in front of them. They're actually dealing with a personal, this is who I am, I don't lose. <laughs> so therefore, to crisis is always a threat to their existential identity and meaning, more so than it is perhaps for other voices in the process. Well, let's jump into The Guardian real fast. And The Guardian, um, what I've noticed, Steve, in in leadership crisis situations um, is they they love the almost they, like they live for that in some degree because they have they know where all the information is and it, it, they're task machines mm. and they like the black and white and the clarity so they're almost to some degree some guardians are almost made for crisis at times it feels like to me so they love the problem solving they love the task they don't they also recognize that it's not a human um uh, you, you don't have to be as human friendly because we're just trying to get things done and solve problems. So, but what they often miss is how they can come across almost like an uh, automated machine where they're just um, dictating and they start uh, command and control and they don't understand what it's like to be on the other side of them in the midst of it. And so that then becomes a norm for them. So leadership in crisis becomes almost a consistency where we've got another problem, I'm stepping in, I'm solving the problem, I'm going through all the actions. So do people know that you actually have feelings, that you actually care as a guardian? Do they know that, could you actually empathize? And is there a time where it's not about the speed of response, but you can actually hear the perspectives of the team and get buy-in? And that's a difficulty for a lot of guardians because, um, again, they love the just the, the detail-oriented, problem-solving task uh, mode. And um, in a crisis, it just escalates, yeah. usually. Now, on one hand, it's a good thing, like I was saying, because um, they can get things done and they can keep um, uh, sane in the process where an ENFP would, would flip out um, uh, or, or a, a connector in that regard would flip out. Yeah. Um, a guardian would um, keep calm. Um, but... It it can become really annoying at the same the same time. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I think the other the the only couple of things I'd add to that is that the guardian, when a crisis hits, often becomes very myopic in the way they go after whatever they think the most presenting issue is. So, whereas a lot of the time, when a crisis hits, rather than simply just becoming reactive to whatever the presenting issue is, you often have to counterintuitively stay take a step back to really make sure you've seen the whole picture and often to really hear all the perspectives of the people in team before you go after the problem solving. So the tendency of the guardian is to whatever the first problem they see is to actually roll up their sleeves and get in and, get, and go after it. And so therefore, in their desire to do something which is going to make a difference now, the accidental guardian will often miss the big picture solution or the capacity to understand there is more than one way to do it. And once they're in the weeds of the problem solving, they don't actually then have the capacity to allocate other members of the team to task where collaboratively we solve the problem. So that's the, that's the challenge for the Guardian. How do you as the leader stay above the crisis so that actually you can understand how to deploy all of the resources to solve it? But, um, you know, it's, it's a challenge for everyone, and, and that's, 
Never going to go away, Guardians, I'm afraid, but it's part of that growth of being the intentional leader rather than the accidental leader. Well, this whole idea and concept about um, leadership in crisis. So um, we, we have the belief of liberators, that uh, liberators fight for the highest possible good of those they serve. So they learn how to calibrate support and challenge. So leadership in crisis, crisis is simply a stress point. Mm. So it causes stress to spike. And in each case, the more intentional you are, the more you know yourself and lead yourself, the, the better you're going to be in a crisis. Mm. The, the problem is we never know when crises come, usually, because they come out of the blue. And so oftentimes a crisis will actually reveal who the person really is. Mm. And they'll also reveal the level of security and maturity, uh, which is unfortunate because you see a lot of leaders blow it in crises, uh, but it, it's actually just an indicator. Mm. So we've got a couple more. So let's walk through walk through the nurture, Steve, before we finish with the creative. Yeah. Um, so, so nurture, if you think the nurture is actually quite like a crisis, they're not dissimilar to the guardians because in some ways their their wiring is for the present, for the immediate. And wherever they see need, they will again immediately respond to that need, particularly as it relates to people and as it relates to values. But the same tendency will be is because the nurturer sees the need of one, the tendency will be to address the most pressing immediate people need in front of them even if that means bandaging the person who's hurt or triaging whatever the situation is but often then not owning responsibility for leading the whole team and allocating all of the resources available to strategically deal with the crises that is there so the tendency of the nurturer is almost to become to almost abdicate leadership without realizing it because what they do is they become a first responder, but by being a first responder and being the one bandaging, triaging, you know, giving mouth to mouth, whatever it is they're doing in the crisis, they've effectively created a leadership void because everyone else is going, well, what am I supposed to do? They've jumped in to serve the most immediate pressing need. It's incredibly difficult for nurturers, by the way, just to go see someone in need or see a crisis happening and to go, I can't deal with this immediately myself. I have to get up above it to see the whole picture to decide how all of the resources, all the people, all the team, all the organizational expertise is going to be deployed to solve the crisis. It's good. And they play that medic role mm. where um, when they jump in, they, they do. They, they Bullets are whizzing by, but they can stay focused in a way that others can't, which is which is really can be a really good thing. Um, all right, so let's get into the creative thinker and uh, uh, the creative thinker, and then we can we've talked a little bit about the creative feeler, but creative thinker. Um, this is interesting because I've got a situation where this has happened here recently. Mm -hmm. um, but a, a creative thinker in the middle of a crisis, uh, they'll often miss the people part and the pain of, of the crisis. So they'll often just disappear physically because they're trying to solve a problem. So, so they can't solve the problem immediately. So they'll disengage, disappear, and they'll start thinking through the opportunity. But it will look like abdication and it'll look like they've completely pulled away, but they're truly in their mind trying to solve the problem because they can't give it anything until it's logical. So they'll come back with a logical, rational approach. But oftentimes it will have missed because they're like, well, where were mm -hmm. you? Where were you when the building was falling down? 
and now you're trying to help and now you're bringing your solution and oftentimes it will come across in an awkward way mm-hmm. it'll come across in the not the most helpful way and then they'll begin to snipe at the people that that are trying to help and it'll cause some real friction and man i've seen this happen and i'm again dealing with this uh, <laughs> currently in a situation mm-hmm. and i'm watching this person just completely disengage mm-hmm. uh from from a, a a situation and it appears like they don't care or it appears like they're not carrying the load mm-hmm. um, when I know them well enough to know that they're just trying to go off and solve it themselves. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I think, I mean, again, that is a tendency that the creative thinkers or the INTPs, it's how do you be emotionally and intellectually present at the same time with your people in the crisis? So how do they know you feel their pain as they also know that you basically are working to bring a solution. So as always with the creative thinker, it's all about communication, which is how do you stay present long enough to allocate people to immediate firefight, realizing you can't have a perfect solution to a crisis immediately. But then to say, guys, in order for me to really bring my best, now we've actually got at least a, you know, a, a Band-Aid around what's going on. I need a little bit of space to really be able to get away to work out how do we solve this thing properly. So if you communicate and tell your team what you're doing and you stay relationally, emotionally engaged long enough, they love the fact that you're going to go away and find a real solution. But it's when you do it when they don't know, as you said, Jeremy, when it's like, well, where have they gone? They don't care. I mean, people are in pain. Where's our leader? Oh, it's all really well coming back in a week's time with a solution, but to be quite honest, three people died by that stage. So that mm-hmm. internal perfectionism of going, until I have a perfect solution, I can't deal with the crisis, actually undermines their influence. And that's the problem for creatives. You won't have a perfect solution in the midst of a crisis, but you've got to be there and own that reality, almost ahead of the game. So love it. Creative feeler, um, not dissimilar in the same sense, um, the, the, the desire to know what is a perfect plan is if they can't see it, they'd rather often do nothing. What you'll find with the creative feeler is they'll often oscillate between this kind of seeing need and just going, how do I care for what's in front of me? But also not necessarily providing that strategic, consistent leadership. So it feels to people sometimes like it's reactive the communication is not always easy to understand. And that classic creative trait of thinking, when they speak, most people don't hear what they're saying. I would say that the creative feeler is you often have to be very, very disciplined in what you share, how you share it, and when you share it. Because in a crisis, people don't have the time to ask all the clarifying questions. But you have to keep asking, do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can't assume as the creative feeler that people have truly heard what you said. They know you care, but you'll often look incompetent in the crisis because they don't understand what it is you're asking them to actually do. That's the great challenge for the creative feeler in a crisis. Not that people don't think you care, but people don't hear consistency. They don't hear the instruction in a way that moves them towards coherent strategic action. Anything to add to the creative feeler, Jess? No, just overall, the difficulty on all that we're talking about is, again, uh, this isn't an ideal world. This is this is what usually happens in how you want to, to act mm. um, as an intentional leader. 
The hard part with a crisis, like I was saying before, you never know when it's going to show up. Mm. It just it could happen in an instance, and you have to be ready. So that's why it's, we're we're teaching and sharing so much on knowing yourself to lead yourself. It's a it's a process. It's a journey of self awareness. So the more that we know ourselves, and the more we lead ourselves through our patterns into better actions, mm. we'll have better consequences, um, and, and we'll shape our reality. But if you're accidental and you're not dealing with these things, and that's why the Five Voices book is really uh, important and really helpful. That's why, again, listening to the Liberator podcast and what we're, we're trying to share, by knowing yourself, you'll begin to respond proactively. And proactive is always better than reactive because reactivity is a sign of accidental leadership. Proactivity is really a sign of being intentional. So if I'm proactive and I know my tendency and a crisis comes up, I can lead myself through the crisis because you really are leading yourself as you lead other people. And most people lose it in a crisis and they diminish their their influence and actually sabotage themselves for a long time because they create a reputation because of the one thing they said or the one way that they led. I mean, to, to draw us back to the, the hurricane analogy, I mean, I've been hugely impressed at the way you know, it's almost like they have a process and a practice. FEMA have been working for a long time. How do we evacuate? What needs to happen? And it's a bit like this. is You, you run the practice drills before the hurricane comes. Because right. when the hurricane comes, is not a time to try and work out what, what the strategy should be to get out. So what we're doing here is we're giving you a way in many ways of actually asking the question is, when the crisis comes, what are my tendencies going to be? If you can actually listen to what we've just described, to write them down, to own them and say, when a crisis happens, here's my list. I'm going to go and look at my list and know if I don't do anything other than just what I feel or think in the moment, here's the behaviors that everyone's going to see. Here's the actions I'm going to do. But I'm going to actually practice in advance. I'm not going to choose this. I'm going to choose that. So for every one of the undermining tendencies we've described or undermining actions, ask yourself, what would be the deliberate intentional action which I think will create the best possible outcome in that process? And I'll almost guarantee for all of you, the first thing is to say when a crisis happens, you have to step back, not step in. But you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do if I'm accidental? What are the things that I practice? What are the tendencies and patterns that I want to define leadership in this space. So, you know, we've given you everything we've got. Most of it, as always, has come out of our failure (laughs) and observing it, certainly with the connector and pioneer, but working with enough leaders to be able to describe, we've seen the consequence of being accidental in a crisis. And it takes a lifetime to build a reputation as a leader. It doesn't take an awful lot to completely undermine your influence and it's almost unfair how quickly that process happened. So important stuff today. Jeremy, final thought? Yeah, yeah. So in 2002, I had had another opportunity to be in a crisis. And I had the opportunity to actually be in a hurricane <laughs> and hit by a drunk driver. Some of you know this story. Um, it's in, in my first book, Leadership is Dead. And um, it was the, the whole idea, uh, the experience that I went through um, of really leading myself when I, I was virtually paralyzed, could not do much, but just try to survive. Uh, the fun part about that story and the redeeming part is that we're actually going back to the same 
general location um, in this coming January. It's called um, our Liberator uh, Network and our Liberator Network Retreat. And so uh, Steve and I are inviting those of you who really want to go uh, to the next level and who really, really love this stuff. We invite uh, clients and uh, friends but we would consider you a friend if you're interested and you want to participate. Um, then just email us at justin at giantworldwide.com and we'll send more information on the Liberator Network Retreat. Uh, it's January 25th to 27th in 2018. And uh, we do it once a year. And it's just a chance for us to really pour in uh, um, directly to uh, people, have have people meet other liberators who are really growing and learning in this style of leadership because we believe that liberation is a lifestyle. Um, it's not just a definition. And, um, and so we really want people to live this out. So we really appreciate all of you listening. We hope it's insightful and encouraging. And until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.